Good morning. morning. Our scripture sermon this morning is going to be from Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk in this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one calls me trouble. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we learned in Sunday school this morning, you have forgiven us a debt that is immeasurable. There's absolutely no way we can put a quantity on what you've forgiven us for. And you did this, Lord, because you loved us. Not on anything that we've merited in ourselves, for there's nothing in us, Lord, that, that is deserving of the forgiveness you have given us. So, Lord, I pray this morning for this sermon. I pray for Brother Brad, Lord, that he will speak the truth of this passage, Lord. And I pray for those here, Lord, that, that know you, that we may understand these truths, Lord, so that we'll go out into the world, Lord. We'll be a better witness for Christ. We will walk in a manner in which your word prescribes. And Lord, I pray for those here who don't know this this immeasurable, unforgiving grace of Jesus Christ, Lord. I pray that you'll work a miracle, Lord, in their hearts, that they'll see it for the first time today through the word spoken, through the word preached. Be with us, in Christ's name. feel like we need to be reminded this morning, brothers and sisters, that we are mist that is on the grass. It's burned up by noonday. We are a flower that withers. And not only are we dust, but the kingdoms of the earth are dust. Pharaoh, with all of his power and might, could not hold together his kingdom. It's gone. There are no more pharaohs. You can go see the wonderful tombs that they built for themselves, and what you will see is not what once was. Those pyramids were once covered in marble. When the pharaohs fell, the people took the marble from off of their tombs and built their homes with it. What you will find in Greece, those great philosophers in the days of Athens and the wonderful things there on the Acropolis, they're ruins fallen apart, dust in the wind. So too is our country. It will pass. All of these things are striving after the wind is what it says in the book of Ecclesiastes. Our lives are a breath, a vapor. So are the countries as we go. But there is one kingdom which will never fade and will never fail. And that is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. 
And if we do not orient ourselves toward that kingdom, then everything which we do will fall away like dust from the wind. Any service we render, anything that we do that is not for the kingdom of Christ will be forgotten and come to nothing. We've come to the end of Galatians, and what Paul is going to tell us at the end of this book is this. The only thing worth boasting in is in the Lord. Anything else is false boasting. We need to think about the point of Galatians that we have labored through. Why did Paul feel it necessary to write to the church in Galatia, and what is he writing to you? In Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, we learned right away why he wrote to them. He said, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of God and turning to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. What was the gospel that the Galatian church was turning to? The Galatian church was turning to a gospel of works. They were abandoning the gospel for the seductive call of works righteousness. And that has not only been a plague that struck the Galatian church, it is a plague that will strike New Covenant Church of Albertville, Alabama, and it will strike every church in this country, every people. Because our tendency, which will never be gone until the end of the world, is to make for ourselves a standard which we can live up to. A standard by which we might be able to judge others. We say, I've done these good works, I've done these things, surely I'm better than my neighbor. And when we do this, we are just exactly like the Pharisee that Jesus talked about who went up to the temple and prayed and said, Lord, I thank you that I tithe from all of my goods. I thank you that I go to temple every uh, Saturday. They, they went to the temple on Saturday back in those days. I thank you that I do all of the things that I do for your kingdom, and especially I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector here. Remember that guy? He's a Galatian. And every single time that we boast or prop ourselves up against and compare ourselves to our fellow man, we can make ourselves feel better, we can set for ourselves a standard which we can attain. That's legalism. The problem is that the bar that the Father of Heaven sets for us, the King of Glory, the Lord of Armies, the bar He sets is this, be therefore perfect, even as my Father in Heaven is perfect. That's the bar. Paul says, if you wish to be justified by law here in Galatians, then you are doomed because... Cursed is everyone who does not do everything which is written in the law, and no one, no man, no woman keeps the law, no one. So you can compare yourselves to your friends, you can look at those who are addicted to drugs, you can look at those who are addicted to pornography, you can look at those who are addicted to all these things in the world, and you say, well, at least I'm not like this tax collector, Lord. And you can walk away feeling good for yourself. The Bible says, though, that the tax collector struck himself on the chest, would not even look up to heaven, and said, Lord, have mercy on me, the sinner. And Jesus said, that man went home justified, not the other. This is why Paul writes to the Galatians. Because people had crept into the church and they'd said, look, if you want to be holy, you need to be circumcised like Moses taught. And if you'll be circumcised like Moses taught, then you can keep the law of God. You'll be righteous before God. Yes, you believe in Jesus, that's good. But you need to be circumcised. You need to walk in the law of Moses. And what Paul said is, that sounds seductive, but actually it smells like death. Because, as he says here, they themselves do not keep the law. They fall from it. The Lord demands perfection. Why does the Lord demand perfection? Is he overbearing? No. He demands perfection because he cannot stand evil. 
not a hint of it, not a whiff of it. He will not stand with you. Not from us, not from anyone. The angels of heaven who were created in glory to serve him forever, when they sinned, he cast them out and they will never return. Those angels who fell with Satan, there is no savior for them. There is no hope. Remember when Jesus ran into the demons who were in the pigs? And they said, Lord, have you come to torment us before the time? What are they talking about? Why does the devil stalk around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour? Because he knows his time is short. There is no savior for Satan. There is no savior for angels when they committed evil. God would not tolerate it. They were cast out. When Adam and Eve sinned, a little sin, they ate a piece of fruit, right? What a, what, what's the problem with that? They were cast out of the presence of God. And every single descendant after them has been born in trespass and sin. God will not tolerate even a whiff of rebellion because rebellion is evil. So if we want a standard, if we want a bar, then keep all the law. And when you fail it, know this, you're done. That's what Paul is preaching to the Galatians. And that's what he's preaching to us this morning. We want to make for ourselves a standard which we are able to reach. And when we reach the standard, we think then that we have arrived at righteousness. But the Lord demands perfection. The bar we make may seem high, but it is only to compare us to our peers, for we can never compare to the glory of the living God. We all sin and fall short of His glory. And if the Lord demands perfection, how will He save His people? by sending his perfect son to die in their place so that all of our boasting and all of our works and all of the things that we've done and all of the things that we think make us better than others will die on the cross. And the only place where we can boast is in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the king of glory. And any other boasting outside of that is foolishness. The Bible says here that making a good impression in the flesh is the opposite of boasting in the Lord. Paul says in verse 12, those who want to make a good impression in the flesh are the ones who would compel you to be circumcised. A good impression in the flesh means they want to show off to others their righteousness, how squared away they are, how perfect they are. I'll give you an example of this. A long time ago in a land far away, actually it wasn't a land far away, this land, joined the Army National Guard. I got to go to basic training, and there they teach you how to be a squared away, they call it, individual, perfect, everything in the line. In the military, you can ask anybody in it, there's a specific way to do everything. And when I say everything, I mean everything, even how your socks are folded, and if that's not enough, exactly where to put them in your drawer. Not only do you have to fold your socks and your underwear and your T-shirts a certain way, they have to go in a certain place. And if they check and it's not that way, you get in trouble. Every single thing, how you're, where you button your shirt, how you roll your sleeves, even how you wear your headgear, which is army speak for hat. You can't just wear it any old way. You have to wear it exactly. So, hey, I wanted to be perfect. I had my stuff starched. I had my sleeves rolled just right. I had my headgear on just right. Two finger checks, what they call it. You wear it. You look at people as they march by in the military, every single one of them be exactly the same. I wanted to be perfect. One day, and I've told this story before, I came up to my sergeant, he was not perfect. He had a piece of duct tape, it was actually electrical tape, on a strap to his backpack. And how you correct someone in the military, you say, as you were, sergeant, you got a piece of tape on your strap. 
He said, yes, I do. He said, Preacher Tate, he said, remind me to ask you a question. Who died today? Stood before a holy, almighty God. Why would he let you go? You being the sinner. <laughs> that is not what I expected. I was very tickled that I got to tell my sergeant that he needed to correct himself. After all, I had shined my boots so I could see my own reflection in them. Everything was perfect, and he had a piece of tape out of line. But what he saw and what he knew was that I was the one that was out of line, even though on the outside, like the Pharisee's cup was washed and clean, on the inside I was full of filth. I was like a tomb that was whitewashed. Looked nice, but on the inside, full of dead men's bones. And you know what he did? That dirty dog. He knew that if he put that piece of tape on there, me, being the Pharisee that I was, would ask him about it, and he would remember to share Jesus with me. And it stunned me. I didn't know what to say. I mumbled some answer to him, and he preached the gospel to me. He said, Brad, you'll never be good enough for heaven. Only Jesus is good enough. Very simple. I sat, you know, stood in the foxhole that night and looked at the stars and thought, there is a God. He is bigger than me. I knew he was there. The heavens declare the glory of God. Night after night, they speak of his glory. Making a good impression of the flesh is what I was all about, and that's what everybody's all about when they're loving Christ. We're trying to show off not only to others, but to ourselves. We're trying to convince ourselves and others that we are a good people. Don't believe Facebook and don't believe Instagram, all the pictures that people take of them being happy and in all these places they're projecting. It is a marketplace for us to market ourselves as the sort of people we would like to be and the sort of people we want you to think we are. I'm not saying that they're having, not having fun in those pictures, but you don't take pictures of yourself at home when you're about to scream at each other, or you are. Nobody takes a picture and puts it on Instagram when they're acting a fool at the house. We don't want you to see that stuff. Why in the world would we put that out there? In fact, don't put that out there. I don't want you to see that. I'll tell you something true and hard. Even though we go to great lengths to give these impressions, we hide any flaws that others might see because we're all Pharisees on that. Outside, we want to be cleaned up. We want people to think we're good. Here's the truth. Every single person in this room is struggling. Every single person in this room is sinning. Nobody has it together. Nobody. For there is no one who's righteous. No, not one. And every single person, just like these Pharisees, who want to present themselves to you as if they're squared away and put together, that does not mean they are. They fight with their spouse. They struggle with their kids. They feel lost in their jobs. They wonder if they're making any difference in the world. And they pretend that everything is fine. And a lot of us believers, and I've said this several times, it's been something on my heart a lot lately. We think, hey, people who don't have Jesus, they're living at home, and they're basically people like us. They just don't go to church. That's not what's happening in their houses, y'all. Because a lost person cannot glorify God, and they can't truly love. It's a place of conflict sorrow and sin and people barely hanging on and barely hanging together and most of the time they don't do either not over the years in the long haul the Bible says if you lay your hand on your plow and you look back again you're not worthy of the kingdom of God and while you're plowing a mule you have to focus on one point far away and you can't take your eyes off of it or you'll, you'll, you'll plow a crooked row if you don't have Jesus to look at when you're plowing you're going to plow all over yourself 
and they don't. You can look good for a while, but over the long haul of many years, you will see the difference between those who know Jesus and those who do not. People are putting on a good show. They're mowing their yard so their homeowners association won't get on to them. We wave at them when we drive by. We hang out at sporting events. But on the inside, lost. Dead men's bones. Filthy cup that no one would drink from. And so what happens? Just like these Pharisees here, it says they want to boast in your flesh. They want to brag because you're with them. When we want to rebel against God or anything else, we feel like there's safety in numbers, right? So we just we sort of draft people to our cause that we believe makes us righteous. This is why there's so much screaming and yelling going on in social media and in the world today is because if our way is right, it makes us righteous. And if I don't follow the way of the world, then I am counted as unrighteous. This is what happens when we measure ourselves by one another. This is what happens when a country, a place, a people, a church is not united by the gospel of Christ, but is trying to be united around whatever it is today that we're supposed to be united by. That's what the world does, even good things. But no matter how many people we gain on our side, no matter how many good causes we support, no matter how what we do, if we are in rebellion against God, I want to tell you, it doesn't matter how many people you get, no one is safe from God. No one is safe from God. He is everywhere. He is all-powerful. He sees and knows all and looks right into our heart and sees what's there. We cannot hide, no matter how many buddies we get on our side, no matter how many likes we get on Twitter. It doesn't make any difference before the throne of the living God. If even a man like John, who had followed Jesus since he was a young man up to the point where Jesus was crucified, took in Jesus' own mother into his home, treated her as if she was his own mother and honored her as he would his own mother. John, who loved Jesus, in the Gospel of John, he keeps calling himself the disciple whom Jesus kept loving. This is the guy who knew Jesus, walked with Jesus, had been boiled and alive and not died, suffered, exiled as a slave to the island of Patmos, all because he loved Jesus. When Jesus showed up, he was terrified and fell down like a dead man. If this is how the righteous act in the presence of the king, what will become of the dross and those who will not kneel in the presence of the king, at least until they see him? Not for a single moment when he saw the living Christ on the island of Patmos, did he think, I will just tell him about all the good stuff I've done. He knew immediately he was unworthy, just as Isaiah going into the temple. He was a man who worshipped God. He went into the temple. He loved the Lord. He knew his place. He walks in and the Lord's there and all that stuff flew out of his head. And he said, oh God, I am a man of unclean lips amongst the people of unclean lips and I am ruined. Our works will not shield or save but his works will. Making a good impression in the flesh is the opposite of boasting in the Lord. And what Paul says here is, I am not going to boast in anything. In verse 14, as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross, and I am crucified to the world. It is essential for us to boast in everything 
in the Lord. This is why it's essential for us to admit our struggles to one another and to the world and be transparent. It is paramount that to tell others that the only reason we've made it this far is because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we would not be the person or in the place to have a hope in this world. Be people who don't talk to others as if they've got it all put together. You know, there are those who are hurting in sin and they won't talk to you because of the impression we make that we have no struggles. And they feel like we can't understand. People feel ashamed to speak to someone. We need to get real with people because life is at stake. Eternal life. Suffering. People can't come out. They get shame things happen to them they won't speak because we're not approachable that is one of the things that i love about jesus amongst the one million other things i love about jesus is that prostitutes would come in and wash his feet and rich people invited into his house that's an amazing person who can do such a thing he can appeal to those who have and to those who have not because that's how we judge the world right they have stuff they don't have stuff but jesus the jewish they all have not because if you don't have righteousness, you've got nothing. And the righteousness we need comes only from him. He said to the rich man, you fool. You say I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Tonight your soul is required of you. What will it gain, friend, to gain the world? What is your soul? Jesus knew how to keep score. And he wasn't keeping score by measuring stuff. By righteousness, we're a vapor. You're only here for today, gone tomorrow. What are you doing? Boast in the Lord because nothing else matters. Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, whether your life is put together or where you are, whether you are a mess, it doesn't make any difference. What matters, Paul says here, is a new creation. Circumcision, he said. Or uncircumcision mean nothing. Keeping the law, not keeping the law means nothing. The thing that means something is whether or not you are a new creation in Christ. That's what matters. Have you been born again? There was a man, his name was Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was on the Sanhedrin. He snuck out to talk to Jesus by night. He was a holy man. At least considered such, reckoned so by Israel. You don't make the Sanhedrin by piddling around in the scripture. He comes to Jesus with flattery. He says, Lord, we know that no one can do the things that you do unless you were sent from God. That's a good answer. And Jesus in John chapter 3 cuts straight to the chase. He said, I'm going to tell you something. If you're not born again, you will never see the kingdom of God. All of his works, all of his study, all of his advancements above his peers, being on the ruling council of the Sanhedrin, being familiar with the scriptures of God, looking for the Messiah, born a Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised on the eighth day, knowing when his, where his tribe was from and what his job was to do, even though he's a descendant of Levi. None of it matters. Jesus said, look, if you're not born again, Nicodemus, you will never see the kingdom of God, even though you've studied it and longed for it all your life. Nicodemus says, hey, can I crawl back in my mother's womb and be born a second time? And Jesus said, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know what I'm talking about? The wind blows where it wants to. And so it is with the Spirit. 
I'm telling you, brother, sister, you've got to be born again or you'll never see the kingdom of God. And when we are born again, the only thing we can boast about is not that we made a clever decision before the Lord that we're smarter than somebody else or we got saved because, you know, I felt bad and they don't know. The reason we get born again is because Almighty God sends His Spirit down into our heart to show us like a mirror who we are and say, this is who you are and this is who Jesus is. Now repent and be saved. A guy who's wandering out in the, crossing a road, messing with his cell phone, looks up just in time to see a bus about to run him over and jumps out of the way. Does he brag that he's so clever? So it is with someone who is saved by the grace of God. No one brags when they dodge a bus that they wandered out into for being foolish. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> and the train is on the tracks. Brother and sister, and the train is coming. And God Almighty. He's blowing the whistle right now for you to repent. But if you don't, if I don't, we have no hope. Nothing else matters except for a new creation. Nothing else matters except for us giving our heart to God. We can achieve all the success in the world. We can become famous in the eyes of all our peers and all the world. We can be adored by everyone. Make all the money. When we die, we must give an account before the king and only his assessment of our wicked life. The only thing he cares about is whether you are dead in his son's grave. He tells a parable. Remember, it's a wedding feast. Invite everybody. People come. And the master walks in. He's all happy. There's people at the wedding feast. He said, hey, who's that guy? How did he get in here without a wedding garment? Take this person out and cast him out where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth. You can't show up to the party dressed in your righteousness, man. You have to come dressed in his. My works are not yours. But his arm, he's offered to give me his and take mine. That's the gospel. Not law keeping. The law is there to let us know that we are naked, blind, and helpless. And that we can only trust in the grace of God. The world has to be crucified to us. All of its ambitions, all of its hope, all of its glory, all of the things that the world will teach us to scramble for, we're dead to it. Because we know it's foolishness, an idol of vapor or chasing the wind. As the book of Proverbs says, if we set our eyes on riches, they sprout wings and fly away. It's like chasing the end of the rainbow. I'm sorry to say... Even if there is gold at the end of the rainbow, you will never catch it. The closer you get, the further it moves away. So it is in chasing worldly gain. You will never succeed. Crucified. Or as John Owen says, be killing sin. Or sin will be killing you. The fight of your life. Don't be ruled the world and the seductive power of human standards of righteousness. Remember your father called you to be perfect. Stop fearing man. Stop working for things that don't last. Do not store up your treasures here. Store up your treasures in heaven for there no thieves can break in and no rust can corrupt. Build for eternity. 
Let me ask you something to help you think about how you boast in the Lord and what you think about your life. What do you have or what have you done that you could not have had or done if it weren't for Jesus? And if you cannot answer that question, or you can't, and how you answer that question, that'll tell you exactly where you are with Jesus. What do you have that you would not have if it weren't for Jesus? Those who don't understand the gospel and don't understand the power of God might think of a few things. Those who are in Christ would say everything. I have nothing that he did not give. I've lost everything for the sake of following Jesus Christ my Lord and I consider it all to be garbage compared to being known by him and being in him, said Paul. Crucified the world what are you chasing now that you can get without Jesus and if you can't get what you're chasing after without Jesus why do you live like he didn't give it to you I don't care what it is whether it's your job your money or a sports achievement you will never get there without Jesus and when you get there if you don't give him glory you dishonor the king who gave it to you We don't try to make an impression in the flesh. We boast only in the Lord Jesus Christ, for he is our only hope and salvation. And Paul closes out here by saying, May peace come to all those who follow this standard, that is the standard of perfection, the standard of the gospel, that is that I cannot do it, but only God can. And peace be upon the Israel of God. Friends, Paul has labored in Galatians to teach us that we are the children of Abraham. We were not born... Of the flesh, according to Abraham's lineage, most of us, I guess. But he says that we are children of promise. See, Ishmael was born directly of the flesh of Abraham. He was not Abraham's seed. Isaac was a child of promise. And we, like Isaac, are children of promise. We are the Israel of God. Not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit of adoption, which cries out in our hearts that he is our father, Abraham is our father, God is our father, because we have the like faith of Abraham. We are God's chosen people. We are a holy priesthood. We are kings and queens who will sit on the throne of glory. We are his people. Not because of our work, but because he has exalted us. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. Clear to heaven and to the throne of God. We are the church of the king. We are the ones for whom Christ died. We are his church. We are not only the ones for whom he died, we are the ones for whom he lives. We are his people. That is the fullness of our boasting. That everything we have, whatever we are or might be, it's because of the guiding grace of God in our lives. Whether we live or whether we die, we are His. And all that we have is His. And I will not boast in my works, but in His works on my behalf, because His works are infinitely better than mine. As John Bunyan said, there is enough sin in our sweetest prayer to damn the whole world to hell. How could He say such a thing? Listen, if eating a piece of fruit got us into all this, then a selfish prayer sure is good. 
God loves us so much he sent his son Jesus to die for us and to ransom us from our own sin and captivity. To break the chains of sin which enslaved us and the fear of death which held us. What else did he have to boast in this morning? What do you have that he did not give you? Are you smart? He gave it to you. Are you fast? He made you speedy. Are you rich? He gave you wealth. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Every good gift comes down from heaven, the Bible says. You have nothing which he did not give you. I have nothing to brag about except for the sweetness and kindness of God towards me, even this morning, even today. And should I lose it all, he's done me no wrong, for I did not deserve a single thing, not even my next breath. It is all of grace. That's why Paul writes to Galatia, and that's what we need to hear today. And that's how we need to live today. People need to see that. Listen, they're lost. We've heard it said that they're lost so much that we don't think about what it means to be lost. They don't know who they are. Do you understand what that means? When the influence of the church is taken out of the society and the lost has nowhere to turn to, how will they define themselves? What did Jesus say? Oh, my people. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're scattered all over the place. They don't know whose they are. They don't know what they are. They don't know why they are. And so they begin to try to define themselves with whatever they think will make them happy and they wind up in misery. And that's what's happening in the world today. All this yelling and hollering, people trying to figure out who they are, what they are, if they're male, if they're female, who they love, who they don't love, who they should marry, who they can't marry. This is because they don't know who they are. And it's not a matter of genetics. It's not a matter of genes. It's not XY chromosome. Who are you? You're a person made in the image of God. A person for whom Christ came. Someone whose job it is to reflect worship back to him. This is what it means to be an image bearer. People see you, they should see Christ in you and worship him. You lose that. You can talk about biology. You can talk about genetics. You can talk about whatever you want. You've lost it. I am who he says I am. And I am who he makes me to be. And this word keeps my feet on the right path for his name's sake. Who are you? Why do you do this for me? And who's giving you glory? Father, we pray that.